Hallelujah. Philippians chapter number 2, beginning in verse number 12, the Apostle Paul writes in this book more about joy than any other book that he wrote. The interesting thing about this book is he wrote it from prison. Most of the time, if we wrote a book from prison, we would be writing, help me, send me some money, get me out of here. But Paul writes this book from prison, and it's all about telling the church to have joy in the middle of your trials. That tells you that joy is not circumstantial. It is above the circumstances of life. Hallelujah. You know that your walk with God is not dictated or bound by the circumstances that you're going through. You could have the worst circumstances imaginable, but you could still have the hottest and most blessed walk with God on earth. If you think that your walk with God is dictated by your circumstances, you haven't dug down deep enough to hit the deep water of God. God wants to move and open you up into a walk with him where it's exceedingly abundantly more than you've ever had. And every day with Jesus is supposed to be sweeter than the day before. Hallelujah. Amen. But you know that this world doesn't like it. When you move to God, the world's going to move against you. If you're truly moving to God, this is one of the problems we have with modern Christianity, is because we don't ever talk about repenting and turning to God. But if you truly hear the right gospel and you truly begin to move towards God, listen, the world's going to move against you. If you begin to go upstream, downstream, going to push against you. It's just the way nature rolls. The world is at enmity against God, and it has been ever since the Garden of Eden, and it always will be until Jesus comes back and his foot hits the mountain in Jerusalem and splits it in two. That Mount of Olives is not going to know what hit it when Jesus comes back. He weeped on it uh, the first time, and the next time he's going to split it in half. And it's going to be an amazing thing. But from this day till that day, we have a war against the flesh and this world. And it's always going to be pushing against you. So circumstances are going to be against us. Amen? So if we're going to have a, a, a happening walk with God, if we're going to have the walk with God that he desires for us, we're going to have to push upstream. And it's going to take a work of the Spirit to do it. You know that nobody self-wills themselves into the kingdom of God. Nobody just decides with on themselves that, hey, I'm going to do it today. You know why? Because nobody ever did it before. Jesus had to come here and make the way for us. He came here to make the way for us so that we could get to heaven. It's not about you making it there. It's about you receiving what God did at Calvary. It's about you receiving the finished work of Jesus Christ on that cross for the payment for your sin and then the Holy Ghost living within, giving you a victorious walk throughout your days. Every child of God can receive the Holy Ghost. If you'll, if you'll begin to pray and begin to seek His face, He will come to you and He will minister to you. Listen, God doesn't play favorites. If anybody's ever had a, a happening walk with God, anybody can. God does not play favorites. He's no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. It doesn't matter if you can talk right, dress right, or look right. It don't even matter what color your hair is. God loves you the same. The Bible says that God's not willing that any would perish. Amen. He wants to seek and to save the lost. Last time I checked, we all hit that category at one point. God wants to seek and save the lost. Sometimes, some of us, we feel like we're in darker places than others, and nobody knows what it's like to be in your situation. But God does, and he provided sufficient means to bring you back to him through Christ's work at the cross. 
Whatever you're going through, sufficient is the cross. Sufficient is the cross and sufficient is the work of the Spirit of God in our lives to give us a victorious Christian walk. So here we see Paul... He's beginning in this, in this book of Philippians and he's writing about joy and, and it's an overarching um, theme throughout the book of Philippians as he pins it from jail. And I just think sometimes, what would I do in that situation? I would probably be asking for bail money and people to pray and get me out and raise you know, funds to get us out. But you know, whenever uh, John Bunyan was in prison, he could have he gotten out of prison if he would have recanted on his faith. But he also could have gotten out of prison if they would have uh, paid enough money. But, you know, there was a minister that was trying to get him out of prison. But he told the guy to stop. And, you know, while he was in prison, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress, one of the greatest pieces of Christian literature in history. But why, why did he? Because he was there because God put him there and he knew it. And he was fulfilling the mission God had for him. And he wasn't going to recant and come off of anything that God was trying to do in his life. And God used him more inside that prison than he would have used him outside the prison. And sometimes you just need to realize God has you where you are for a reason and a purpose. You know, Esther, you think about Esther when she was brought over there to the palace of the king. She didn't know why she was there. She didn't want to be there. That was not her people. But God brought her there. She said, for such a time as this. There was a, a moment in time when God's plan revealed itself to her and she realized, you know what? This is why God brought us here. This is why God put me in this position. God had poured into her life so much in her younger days that when that day came, she knew why God did it for such a time as this. And sometimes we need to take a step back and realize God's working in, in ways that we may not even understand. He only will reveal to us what we need to know. Sometimes we're on a need-to-know basis, and if you don't need to know, he probably won't tell you. But when you need to know, when you need a word, he'll give it to you. And here, God's given a word to the church, and it's all about rising above the circumstances. Amen? How many of you think that the circumstances in our world, in our generation, is going to get better or worse in the coming days? Most everybody can read the prophetic wall. They can read the prophetic calendar and say, you know what? Things don't look too good for Christians right now. It looks like it's probably going to be dark skies for a little while. But God's light will shine through those dark skies. If God's people, if we play this namby-pamby Christianity, we're going to be wishy-washy and we're going to come off of our faith. But if we dig down and hit the root, if we dig down and get filled with the Spirit of God, God will give us a holy boldness to face the coming days. God will give you sufficient inside to meet what's coming on the outside. Amen? Now, I don't know what's going to come on the outside. I don't know what the world's going to bring to me, but I know if God's in me, he's going to give me sufficient in me to face whatever's outside of me because the Bible says greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. So my faith and my trust is in what God's doing in me, not what the world's doing against me. The worst it can do is kill me. That just gives me a shortcut to heaven. I'll meet you there. Glory to God. But we have to realize that God working in us has got to be greater than the, what the world is doing against us. 
You can't look at what the world's doing and cause it to blow your fire out. Don't let the world water the fire out of your life. You need the fire of God. You need the Spirit of God. You need the anointing of God. You need the touch of God. You need the hand of God. Now what we see here in, in Philippians 2 verse 12, it says, Wherefore, my beloved, wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You know, sometimes we think of this scripture and, and you see a shelved salvation. You know what a shelved salvation is? When you act saved around the right folks. You know what a shelved salvation is? It's, it's when you put on the show around the right people. But when, the, when, when those people aren't there anymore, the real you comes out. That's called a shelved salvation. You can pull it off the shelf and put on the religious clothes and speak the religious lingo, but there's no actual Spirit of God on the inside. It's just a, it's, it's a formality. It's a shelved salvation. And, you know, sometimes we think of that, and, 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 and God doesn't want you to live in that kind of place. God, God wants to open your heart, and God wants to come and live on the inside of you. See, salvation is not just about getting a go-to-heaven card. It's not about getting your passport stamped so that you can go to heaven. It's about heaven coming to you. It's about God living in you. God loves you. And that fellowship between God and man was broken in the Garden of Eden. And, and ever since then, it's been broken. But Jesus made that way at the cross for God to come back into your life to save you. But listen, to live in you, to dwell in you, that his presence would be upon your life. That's God's desire. You might say, well, well, what? I mean, isn't going to heaven greater? Well, yeah, it's greater, but from now till then, how much greater is it to have God in you? We can't live this Christian life without God. And God's desire is to come up in your life and to pour out in you all that you need. To give you sufficient means for the day. Jesus said not to worry about tomorrow. Sufficient is the evil of it. You're not, supposed to, you're not supposed to live in yesterday because you can't change it. And you're not supposed to live in tomorrow because it's got enough evil already. Sufficient of the day is the trouble. Trust God in the hour. Trust God in the minute. Trust God in that moment. And that's where God wants to meet you at. And that's where he'll fill you. And that's where you'll find his sufficiency. You'll find his sufficiency in the moment you're in. If you all the time just worry about tomorrow, you're going to have your head in the clouds and not fulfilling the call that God has on your life today. Sometimes we can miss what God's doing because we're thinking about other things. We're thinking way past where God is. But God wants to minister to you in the moment. Now again, I'll just come back to this, but Paul wrote this letter from prison. He could have thought about, well, when I get out of prison, I'm going to write a letter to y'all. This is how most Christians believe. When I get my life together, I'll get back in church. When I get my life together, uh, then I'll get married, or then I'll, I'll do this, and then I'll do that. But you see, it, God is, is the same God yesterday, today, and forever, and He's the same God right now as He will be tomorrow. And if you need God tomorrow, guess what? You need Him today. 
And so it doesn't matter where you're at, whether you're in prison house or the outhouse. God will meet you where you are, and he will be the sufficiency for your hour. We don't even know if we're going to make tomorrow. Some of us listening to this may not even make tomorrow. We don't know, but we know God's here right now, and God's with us right now, and whatever you need from God, he'll supply. Amen? Amen. So it says here, Paul said, My beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. This, is, this speaks again of that, that kind of duplicious faith that sometimes we have, that we, we sometimes act one way in front of somebody and then a different way in front of the teacher. In front of the teacher. How many of you remember whenever the teacher would walk in the room in class, everybody would straighten up and stop throwing spitballs and stop talking and, 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 and get back in their chair and they would look like they were acting right the whole time. Sometimes as Christians, we get around the right people and we try to get our lives to where it looks like we're acting right the whole time. But God wants us to have the same walk whether the teacher's there visually or not. See, Paul here being the teacher to this church, but how many of you know the Holy Ghost is the teacher to me and you? The Holy Ghost is the teacher to us. He's the one who comes and teaches us. He guides us. He corrects us. He loves us. And he brings conviction upon us. And he empowers us. He's the teacher. And here I want you to see something. That God's desire is that you have the same walk. Sometimes you don't feel his presence. Sometimes you don't sense that presence. Sometimes you get in church services and, and you just feel God. And you get around the right folks that are godly folks that are encouraging and loving and, and encouraging you to press forward and to press in and be obedient and surrender and, and, and fall at your knees at the Lord. But then you get around other people and they, they, they don't talk about the Lord. They talk down about the Lord. They might even use His name as a curse word. And you get around the wrong folks and you know what? You'll begin to not feel God sometimes. You'll begin to not you'll feel like you're on your own again. But how many of you know God doesn't want you to live like that? God wants to fill you to the point where you're overflowing. God wants to be in every moment of every day, every hour of your life to supply your need. God wants to give you more than you can handle. That's how God does. That's how God, that's how God operates. He pours out more than you need. Amen. So one of the things that I wanted to get into is, is, is this duplicious nature is, you know, when you talk about it in Christianity, if, if you think about it in the words of Jesus, he said that if, it, you know, a, a city set on a hill, right, is what we're supposed to be, a city set on a hill. And, and we're not supposed to take that candle and put it under a bushel. But how many of you know that as Christians, as Christians, you don't have to walk around and tell somebody that you're a lamp. You don't have to walk around and tell somebody that you're a light if you are. Amen? Think about that. Think about that. A candle doesn't have to walk around and tell people it's a candle. If it burns in the darkness, guess what? You already know it is. It doesn't have to tell you what it is. Sometimes as Christians, we get in the habit of we, 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 we know more through our words and through our theology than in reality. Think about that. Sometimes we know more about God with our words, our swelling words, and with our theology in our head than in reality, actually knowing that burning light in the darkness. 
It's one thing to know that, that a candle will burn in the darkness, but it's another thing to actually experience when everything else is dark around you, that the, the light of God will shine. That God will shine his light in your darkest hour, in your deepest need. You know, you may even go through situations that you, don't, you, you, you wouldn't tell your best friend about. You may be battling issues and you may be battling demons that you wouldn't wish upon anyone else and you wouldn't want to tell anybody because you wouldn't want them to think bad of you or cast bad aspersions upon your character. But I want you to know this. I want you to know this. God wants to come to you in reality, not just in theory. One of the problems we have in the church world is we have a theoretical God. A theoretical God is, knows what, it's, what, what is what and who's who, but it doesn't know the substance, the reality of the situation. It doesn't experience that candlelight in the dark hour, the warmth that comes from it. One, one old minister said that, that people back in the day, they didn't have theology, they had neology. What he meant by that is they got down on their knees and they got on their face before God and they had an encounter with God and God spoke to them in ways that you can't buy in a book. You can't buy it in a book. One of the things I want to point out in this passage, it says to work out your own. Do you see that? Your own salvation. Now, let me, let me address a couple of things real quick. He's not telling you to work for your salvation. We don't work for our salvation. So he's not telling you to work for your salvation. He's telling you to work out your salvation. Amen? The, uh, here's one way to, to look at it. it when, whenever somebody goes to lift weights, right? You don't, you don't lift weights so that you can get muscles. You already have them. You lift weights to get bigger muscles. Right? You're born with muscles in your arm. Now, they may not be much. They may just be little bitty. But you're born with muscles in your arm. Even a baby is born with muscles in its arm. So you don't go to the weight room to get a muscle. You, grow, you go to the weight room to grow it to, so that it gets bigger and stronger and more vibrant, that it, it's more useful. And when the Bible says to work out your own salvation, it's not telling you to work for the salvation, but it's saying the salvation that you have, work on it. Live it out. Let the reality of the matter come upon you so much that it gets stronger. Your walk with God gets stronger and more vibrant and more powerful, more filled with God, more filled with joy, more filled with His peace, more filled with His Spirit of God. So we don't, we don't work out so that we gain salvation, but that we get stronger in our faith. If, 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 you get, if you go to a church and you get saved and you just go sit on the couch and you never press into the prayer closet, you never press into the Spirit, you never press into the Word of God, you're going to miss out on all that God has for you. God could do so much more in somebody who would surrender to Him, that would be obedient to His voice, and that would follow Him wherever He went. You, sometimes we miss this whenever Jesus passed by those fishermen. He said, follow me. What if they didn't? Well, I don't have to do nothing. Who do you think you are, Jesus of Nazareth? Tell me to follow you. I don't have to do nothing. I can just sit here and do what I want to do. I just want to be a fisher. Okay, you can. But if you want to grow with God, go follow him. And that's what he's saying. If you can be where you are and stay where you are. Go for it. But if you want to go deeper with God, work out that salvation. 
lift up, lift, lift up your eyes to heaven and begin to draw near to God again. Get on your knees and press into the Spirit and pray through those things that have been conquering you. Pray through those things. If, if the Bible's true and greater is He in you than He in the world, there's nothing that you can't pray through. You don't understand the situation. You don't know what it's like to live with them, Pastor. You don't know what it's like to work with them, Pastor. You don't know what it's like to have to be in my shoes, Pastor. I don't, I don't, I don't. But I know this, God's greater. His grace is sufficient. And if you'll begin to work out your salvation, you'll get stronger. God will come upon you in greater manifestation. Every time you go into that prayer closet, every time you get in the Word of God, every time you get alone with God, God will come upon you and strengthen you and pour into you things that you need that you don't even know about. That's how God works. One of the things I wanted to say on this is it says to work out your own salvation. There's a few different ways you could look at it. You can't work out mine, and I can't work out yours. No matter how much you want to correct me, guess what? I got to answer for me to God. And same thing with you. Well, if I, if I was there, I would do it this way. Well, if I was you, I'd be doing something different too. You understand what I'm saying? You can't work out my salvation, and I can't work out yours. What do we got to do? We got to turn each other over to God. We've got to turn each other over to God. But I want you to see something, though. He says to work out your own salvation, meaning you have your own personal walk with God. You can't live on your mama or your daddy's walk. You know that there's no second-hand Christians? I've heard this said before, God don't have grandchildren. He's got sons and daughters. Each one of us got to come to God for our own selves. And get filled with God our own selves and get on our knees our own selves and get on our face our own selves and seek God our own selves. Nobody's going to ride on my coattails. They're going to have to come to Jesus and get under His. And we have to understand that, that when it comes to faith, God's telling us to cultivate our own faith. Well, my, my mama was a this and my daddy was a that. That's great. It's awesome. Praise the Lord for that. But what about me? What about me, Lord? What about me? God said, draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. James 4, chapter 4, verse 8. God said, if you'll draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. It doesn't matter who your mama or your daddy is. You could have had all, nothing but, but uh, convicts in your family history. You could have had, you know, some ringtail people up in there. You could have had a family history you don't want to tell people about. But you know what? It can stop with you. It's got to stop with somebody. It's got to stop with somebody. And last time I checked, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sin and all our unrighteousness. And so there's no iniquity that you had in your past that the blood of Jesus doesn't cleanse you from today. Well, you don't understand. I've got a family history of this, that, or the other. Well, you don't understand the blood of Jesus then. Because when it says that the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all your iniquity, all unrighteousness, all your sin, it means all. Don't, don't act like a Calvinist today. All means all. Amen? Now here I want you to see something. He says um, that you, 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 you have to understand that God's calling us to work out our own salvation. 
One of the things that we, we see in the church world is we always like to get involved in other people's lives and kind of try to nitpick them. Well, you know, things will work better for you if you did this. Well, that's great if it's spoken from the right spirit. But sometimes we can get in a critical spirit. And the same person could say something to us, right? Well, you know what? Your, your walk with God would work better if you, kept your, if you minded your own business. You see how it works both ways. And sometimes we, we don't see that because we're so full of self. Well, Paul here is writing to the church because he's trying to get them to this place to where they have this, this authentic walk with God. If you're writing from prison a letter that tells people to have joy, they're going to have to have an authentic walk with God. And you know what I believe? I believe right now the church needs to come back to a place where we have an authentic walk with God. You, you, you know what? You can have jingle bells and you can have shotgun shells and all kinds of stuff in the church. But if we don't have authenticity with God, we've got nothing. If you don't have an authentic walk with God, if God doesn't live in you, if you've not truly been bought by the blood of Jesus and cleansed by that blood and been born again, a child of God, you know what? All the jingle bells and shotgun shells don't mean anything. All that is is just tapestry, applauding us on our way to hell in our self-deceived world. But God wants to save the world today, just like he did the day that Jesus was lifted up on that cross. He said, I'll draw all men. All means all. He said, I'll draw all men to me. If he's lifted up, he'll draw all men. That's his desire is to draw all men. We look at the problems of the world today and we think, how is this going to pan out? How is the United States going to do this? And how is you know, society doing this? It's crumbling. It's fracturing. You know, There's this going on. This nation's rising. And we've got all these pressures going on. None of this has taken God by surprise. First off, none of us taking God by surprise. But secondly, we, we have to be authentic in our walk with God to navigate through this hour. You can't pretend to be a candle in the dark. You either are or you are not. You can't pretend to be a candle in the darkness. You can't, you know, if it's dark and, and you're a fake candle, everybody's going to know when the lights go out. That thing don't light. Well, in the spirit, don't you think the same thing happens? It's going to get dark. I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know what's going to happen. But the world is against God. And the world is against the church. And we know that before the Lord comes back, it's going to get darker. We know that it's going to get worse. And there's going to come an hour when the true candles are going to have to be lit. Now watch this. Work out your own salvation. Do you know that you, 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 like I said, you can't live a secondhand religion. You can't live a secondhand religion. You know, whenever David was about to battle Goliath, he had an opportunity to wear the king's armor in battle. This, we lose. We lose this, but, but this is huge. This is the greatest enemy that Israel was going to face up to that day. And David was the only one that had enough courage to face the enemy. God put it in him. Do you agree? That he had a heart for God and God stirred his heart. He said, who's going to defy the God of Israel, right? 
God put it in him, a, a, a spirit of, of courage. He had godly courage. And on the, the hour of battle, the king said, David, here's my armor. Here's my sword. Here's my shield. Here's everything. It gets lost on us, but it, that's the best of the best equipment. That's the best of the best equipment. What that represents is you putting your faith in something else. Right? It represents you putting your faith in something that's not God. Whether it's, you know, a, a, an underground bunker in the Ozark Mountains. Whether it's 20 machine guns, an army tank, a nuclear tower, whatever it may be. But you know what? When I think about this verse, God calls us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. I can't work, I can't live off of my mama or my daddy's coattails. I can't put on their armor. I can't say that they did this, so I got this. David had to tell the king no. And he had to get before God and trust God himself. David had to come before God and trust that God was with him, just like God was with Jesse, just like God was with Obed, just like God was with Boaz. He had to trust God for himself. He couldn't stand on his daddy, his granddaddy, or his great-granddaddy's coattails because, listen, he had godly coattails to stand on. But he had to come to this place where he trusted God more than what man could give him. And so we see, as Paul says here, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, we all have to get to this place where we trust what God's doing in us. Not what God did in mama or daddy or grandpappy. Or I have a friend that's a pastor and I have an uncle that's a pastor and a this and a that. But we have to have an authentic walk with God ourselves. We have to have that authenticity that comes from the Spirit of God ourselves. And David had that. David had that. If, if he didn't have that authenticity, if he didn't have that walk with God, he would have went out to that battle with Goliath with the king's armor. He would have had the right courage, but he would have had the wrong equipment. When he walked out on that battlefield, he didn't look. He was he he. All he had was stones. All he had was five stones. But I want to tell you something. He was surrounded by the armory of God. There wasn't one thing that Goliath could have done against him because he stepped out. Listen in faith as the Spirit of God convicted him to say no to Saul's armor he came into his own and God came by his side and God stood by him and when he flung that rock God guided it right into the forehead of that giant and he came down in the name of Jesus and listen listen we have to do the same thing in a, in a similar fashion. We have to get to that point where we don't hold on to somebody else's faith and we don't hold on to how somebody else did it, but we hold on to what God's doing in us. And we come before God ourselves and God changes us. Listen, I want you to know this. God's desire is to save you and to fill you so that you're not on your own. David could have easily walked out of that tent in Saul's armor. And I believe so many believers today are going out into the battlefield with Saul's armor on. 
they're going out with, with maybe their pastor's armor or their, da their daddy's armor or their best friend's armor or, or maybe their spouse's armor. But listen, God, God will be your armor. God will fight your battle. If you'll be bold enough to step out in faith, God will move the mountain before you. God is the one who fights our battles. We're called to believe, we're called to obey, we're called to have faith, and God is the one who fights for us. Amen? God is the one who shut the mouths of the lion in Daniel's den. God is the one that delivered those three Hebrew boys from the fire. God is the one who split the water so that Israel could come across. He's the one who destroyed uh, the, the, the lion that Samson beat. He's the one that has delivered his people from ages past, even to today, and even to tomorrow. But it is incumbent upon us as believers to see our need for this authenticity again. In the church world, in the church world, we've, we have gotten stuck on swelling words and theological premises, but not have the authenticity that comes from the Spirit above. This morning, I want to encourage you to, to come back to that place where you understand God wants to do a new thing in your life. You know that whenever God does something, he always does it a different way. But Jesus never healed people the same ways. He, one guy that was blind, he just prayed for him. Another guy, he spit on him with mud. And, you know, just, he healed people different ways. He would deliver people from devils different ways. One person, a spoken word. Another person, he laid hands on. But it's a different way. Why? Because when we figure out the system, we get complacent. When you figure out the system, you get complacent. Look, if you see that, if you know that the teacher's going to leave every every class period, you know, fifteen minutes before the bell rings, right? You got it figured out. You know, you can act like a fool at that point, and then you got to then you got to turn the switch. See, if if we figured out God, if we figured out God, we would get complacent and duplicitous in our faith. But you can't figure out God. No man has the mind of God. We've been given the mind of Christ, that mind of a servant. When God came to this earth, he came and he, he, he walked out the will of the Father. He walked out that will from above. That's what he did. And that's the mind we've been given, is that mind of an obedient servant to walk and fulfill the will of God for our lives. Not to question God. Not to barter with God. And not to supersede our thoughts over God's. His ways are higher than our ways. We have to understand that. So he says here that we're called to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? Fear and trembling. If you're not having fear and trembling about your salvation, that means that you, 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 you may be thinking lightly of your sin. Maybe that you're thinking lightly of hell. Maybe that you're thinking lightly of the work that God does. But fear and trembling represents that authenticity. That you, that you truly are coming before God on a daily basis for all of your needs. Think about this. God told the nation of Israel to gather up manna daily. Not to gather up more than you need, but to get what you need in that hour right then. Right? Daily manna. But you know what? How many of you believe that people gathered up more than they needed? That's what we do. That's what we do. And you know, it would be easy to go to church one time and get a one-time touch from a one-time God. 
I'm just going to go up there and get all my manna in my big old basket. Now I'm not going to church no more. I, I, got, I done got my touch. I done got my manna. I done got my bucket filled. I'm good now. But God set it up to where those, those Israelites had to come back to him every day for their daily need. It humbled them, but it brought an authentic walk to them. But, you know, we as creatures of habit, we'll, we'll begin to get with God and, and we'll try to get all that we need right now so we don't have to come back to Him anymore. Leave me alone now, God. I'm done. I'm good. Leave me alone. God's a consuming fire. He's not a one-time God. He's a consuming fire. He's an all-the-time God. And He wants to be an all-the-time God in you. It's not, a, it's, it's not going to see great-grandpa one time. It's an all the time. It's an ongoing, abiding presence living in you. It's the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you. His presence abiding within. The witness of the Holy Ghost is how we know that we are the children of God. And I want you to know that God wants to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or imagine. We see here that... that that it is daily manna, it was something new every day they had to get. It was something new every day they had to get. They had to go back every day for something new. But you know that even though they had to go back for something new, it was still the same thing that God said. The thing never changed. And with us, it's the same way. God doesn't change. It's an old path. It's an old-timey gospel. You can put laser lights and mood lights and smoke machines and mirrors on it. But look, if it's not the old time gospel, it's not going to change nobody spiritually. It's not going to change their eternal destiny. It's not going to do anything in the spirit. All it's going to do is stir the emotions. It's going to cause people to be lied to and deceived and walk into darkness thinking that there's something that they're not. It is the old path. If you read Jeremiah, he said it was that old path that he was called to proclaim, to preach, to exalt. That's the same thing that John the Baptist preached, the same thing Jesus preaches. That old path is that, that way of repent and believe. God doesn't change. The gospel doesn't change. The church changes, yes. The church changes, yes. What we put up with changes, yes. I don't like that church. It's too hot and heavy. I don't like that church. It's too cold. We like that, that story of the bears, right? The, this one's too hot. This one's too warm. This one's too... Oh, that's how people are. But God doesn't change. We can pour cold water on it, but God doesn't change. It's an old gospel, an old-time gospel. The same Spirit of God that filled the first church still fills the church today. Now, He may not fill you, but He still fills the church God doesn't change. He doesn't grow gray hair. He doesn't grow weary. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't grow weak. He doesn't walk around with a cane saying, oh, it's been 2,000 years since I filled the church of God. I'm running out of power. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And what he did for the church yesterday, he'll do for you today. What he did for the church yesterday, he'll do for you today. But you've got to come to that place where you receive him the same way they did. There's not any new paths to God. We, we, preach, the same, we preach out of the same Bible that they wrote. You realize that? This Bible hadn't changed. I know people try to update it, but they can't. God's word is sealed. It's done. It's written. 
You can change it all you want. It just means it's, just, it's not the Bible. You can be like Thomas Jefferson and cut it up, cut it out. Doesn't mean that you changed it. So God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, how do we do the will of God? Look what it says in, 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 in this next part, in verse 13. It says, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do you realize that it's God's good pleasure to do things in your life? That God actually desires to minister to you, and God actually desires to fill your soul, and God actually desires to deliver you from wickedness, from every bondage and every ailment. That's God's desire. Sometimes we think that that, that that kind of walk with God is reserved for super duper Christians. But you know what? God's desire is to do it for you. One of the things, you know, you can't work out what God's not working in. So you have to ask yourself, what's God doing? You can't work out what God's not working in. If God's not working it in, you can't work it out. If you go back and you look in Matthew chapter 7, one of the things that you'll see is that Jesus rebuked, Jesus rebuked people that did wonders. Jesus rebuked people that prayed for the sick. Jesus rebuked people that fed the hungry, that did wonderful works in his name. He rebuked them. You know what he told them? He said, depart from me, you workers of what? Iniquity. I never, what? Knew you. They were working out something, but God had never worked it in. Think about that. They were working it out. They got a hold of some religious manual, and they began to work it out. But God didn't work it in. And see, when we, when we realize Jesus actually rebuked these people for doing awesome things, but they didn't do it from a place of relationship, a, a place of authenticity with him. They did it from some other place. You see, whenever God begins to call you out and begins to pour upon you, he'll do it from a place of consecration. When you, when you come apart and when you set aside time and you get before the Lord and you get on your face, God will begin to put things in your spirit. He'll begin to put things in your heart. He'll begin to give you a new mission and a new mandate. And he'll begin to stir you up to do things past what you're comfortable with it'll go past your comfortable zone it'll go past look most people they don't realize this but but you know most of the men of God in the Bible they had you know problems speaking you look at Moses he problems speaking a lot of these people did you look at Peter this was an uneducated guy and God used him as an apostle now, Peter, Peter was that uneducated guy. Paul was extremely educated, but God didn't let him use his education. How does that work? I've got all this college. I've got all this schooling. And God said, don't use it, son. He had to count it all as dung. He had to count it all as dung. Go on and read Philippians 3. Look what he says about his, his heritage, his past, who he was in the flesh. He had to count it all as lost so that he could win Christ. God will get you out of your comfort zone. I believe Paul's comfort zone was his education, and he had to get out of it. Peter's comfort zone was fishing, not messing with those religious folks, and God called him to go stir them up. 
You see, if it was me and I'm plotting my life, I think God's called me, you know, I'm speaking as Peter, I think God's called me to, to have a new fishing business called, you know, God fishes for men and I'm just going to catch fish and I'm going to feed people with my fish. Uh-uh, son, get out the boat. Go, go out here. I'm going to make you a fisher of men, not fish. But I'm not comfortable with that, Lord. Yeah, I know, because I want, I want me to be your comfort, son. I don't want you to find your comfort in what you do. I want you to find your comfort in who I am to you. This is the difference in that authenticity. See, God will stir us to get outside of our comfort zone so that we lean on Him, so that we hold to Him, so that we draw near to Him, so that He is the one who comforts us, not our own selves. He's the comforter, by the way. Isn't that what Jesus said? He's the comforter? He is the comforter. And why would you need comforted if you live in America and you only do what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it? Nobody can tell you different because you live in a bubble called comfortable. But God will get you outside of that comfort zone so that you're stepping on the deep, so that you're stepping on those waves of water like Peter did, where you're not used to it, where it's unfamiliar territory, where you're not familiar with your surroundings. Why? So that your faith and your trust rests in the living God, not in yourself, not in your situation, and not in your surrounding, but in the Spirit of God in you. You might say, well, well, Pastor, I mean, I, I get that, but you don't understand the things that I'm going through right now. Again, think about this. Paul wrote this letter from prison. He could have said the same thing to you. You know that we could, we, we could be going from uh, Galatians, Ephesians to Colossians. There could be no letter of Philippians. He could have said, Lord, I know that you want me to write this book of the Bible, but you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't know what it's like in my shoes right now, God. But because he was obedient to God, he wrote from prison an epistle about how to find joy as a Christian. So, again, you can't work out what God's not working in. The sons of Sceva found that out. They began to lay hands on somebody that was oppressed by a demon and filled with a demon, and that demon began to cast them out. Said, Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. But who are you? They were trying to work out what God didn't work in. God wasn't in them, but they were acting like it. The same thing to these false teachers that, that Jesus rebukes in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. It's not that their, the works were evil. It's that they did it from a place of not, no authenticity with God. And so he says here that, that it is God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 3. In this prayer that Paul prays in verse number 20, it says, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all the ages, world without end. Amen. Do you see that God does something in you according to what? 
God does something in you exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or think. What does He do in you? What does He do? How does He do it? According to the power that's working in you. How does the power get in you? Receiving the Holy Spirit. You can't work out what God's not working in. So many times we, we try to do things. We try to be a godly father or we try to be a godly mother or we try to be you know, a, a godly brother or we try to be a, a godly worker at our job or we try to be you know, a godly saint in these dark days and we try to live for God in our own strength but you can't work out what God's not working in. God will never call you to do what He's not doing already in you. The problem that we have a lot of times in the church is that we try to serve God in our own strength. He's saying right here, it's according to the power that works in you. It's according to the power that works in you. The question that you have to ask yourself is, God, are you working in me? God, are you working in me? It's His desire to work in you. But if we're serving God from our own strength like the sons of Sceva or like those false teachers in Matthew chapter 7, if we're trying to work out what God's not working in, God's going to step back and wait us out. God will step back and wait you out until you get to the point where you come to Him and you say, Lord, I need the power of God working in me. Well, Pastor, I'm not, called to do, I'm not called to be an evangelist or a prophet or a, a, a missionary or a pastor or a preacher. I'm not called to that. Listen, if you think that you can be a godly parent or a godly spouse or a godly saint in these dark days without the power of God in you, you're already deceived. You can't do that without God doing it in you. You can't do anything without God doing it in you. You need the Spirit of God, that power within in order to do what God's called you to do without. Otherwise, we, we will relegate ourselves to a, the, a, a theoretical faith. A theoretical faith. Ask yourself this. Ask yourself this. Do I have a theoretical faith, or do I have an authentic, abiding presence of God in my life? We're one of the two. We're one of the two. And I want you to know that God loves you so much, and that God's no respecter of persons, and if God's ever filled one soul with His presence, He'll fill yours. You don't understand what I did. God does. And He's sufficient. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our iniquity. The blood of Jesus, listen, you, you might have started out on the wrong foot, and you might have had a setback. You might have missed a decade or two or three. That doesn't make any difference to God. Some of the greatest generals God ever had got the call in their 50s. In their 50s. Some in their 60s. Sometimes we, we think, well, God can't use me because of how much I've messed up. No, God will use that. And God will do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or think according to the power that's in you. Ask yourself that. Do I have a theoretical faith or do I have an authentic, abiding presence of God in my life? Because I want you to know that God wants to fill your heart this day. God wants to fill your heart this day. You know, you think back over the early church and one of the, one of the most amazing stories you read is in Acts chapter 7. I don't know if you remember in Acts chapter 7, it's whenever Stephen was stoned. Do you remember that? Remember when Stephen was stoned? It was a beautiful experience, and he actually, you know, he saw the, the heavens split. He saw Jesus and everything. 
But one of the things that he did is he just went out and burned for God. He just went out and turned the world upside down. He didn't go around with a card showing everybody that he was now, you know, one of the disciples' people. He, he had got hands laid on him, and now because, you know, he was filled with the Spirit, and now here's my card showing my credential that I'm here to do this. There was something in him. There was a power in him that validated him, not a card. There was a power in him that validated him, not a card. And when, when he got in the right situation, the Spirit of God rose up in him. And he began to preach to those Jews. He began to preach and he began to line them up all the way from Moses all the way down to Jesus. And he read them their rights and he told them the truth. He didn't hold back. Listen, he didn't tell any jokes. He didn't hand out any cards or candy. He didn't pat them on the back and tell them they can do it, that they're all that in a bag of chips. He told them the truth and nothing but the truth. He gave them the black and white truth of the Word of God and the Spirit of God was upon him and he didn't have to show them a card saying that he was filled with the Spirit of God. It was seen by what he did. The power of the Spirit of God in him validated what God was doing through him. And that's what the church world needs today. The church world needs that authentic walk with God again today where we're not relying on men, but we're relying on Jesus. This morning I want you to know Jesus wants to fill you. He wants to save you and he wants to fill you. Amen? I, I, I want to tell you this, that, that God's desire is to save you and not cast you away. But if you're not born of the Spirit of God on, on the day that you die, you will go to hell. God's desire is to save you, but if you're not born again on the day that you die, you will go to hell. The, the, the thing is, you don't, it's not about belonging to a church. It's not about belonging to a denomination. It's about belonging to God. It's about the Spirit of God living in you. It's about being born of the Spirit. A pastor can pat you on the hand and tell you you're saved. That don't matter. You can fill out a card. That don't matter. You have to have the Spirit of God in you. you Jesus said in John chapter 3, you have to be born from above. You have to be born by the Spirit of God. And, and Nicodemus began to question that, and, and he couldn't understand it. Am I supposed to enter into my mother's womb a second time? No, you have to be born by the Spirit of God. God has to live in you. If God's not living in you, you're not His. God's desire is to save you, to, to actually live in you. But how do I get saved, Pastor? You've got to believe that what Paul said. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said that God came to this earth, God manifested in flesh, God came to this earth, he lived a sinless life for 33 years, and then he went to Calvary to die for our sins, to atone for our sins. It is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God came here because we were so fallen and so messed up, God actually came here and he lived here. You Think about that. God is spirit. God is spirit, and he manifested in flesh. That'll take you eternity to comprehend that. 
When you go to heaven and you see him, it, you're just going to be blown away because you're not going to understand how, how an amazing God that fills everything that's ever been created, that spoke the universe into existence, that lived before time existed, that lived before space, time and matter. Do you realize that he lived before heaven? Heaven is a place that angels can exist. God didn't need heaven. Heaven is a created place. God is uncreated. He lived before time, space, and matter, but because He loved us, even though we were sinners, Christ came to die for us. He came and He lived a sinless life, God incarnate, God in the flesh, and He died on that cross for our sins, and He rose from the dead on the third day, defeating death, hell, and the grave. And the Bible says, all that believe on Him, that believe that gospel and confess Him as their Lord, will be saved. Amen? This morning, God also wants you to know this, that you can't live the Christian life on your own. You can't. If you try, you're going to end up either complacent or you're going to end up backslidden or you're going to end up in a place where you're cold in your faith. If you try to live Christianity in your own strength, you'll end up in one of those ditches. Christianity was never designed to be lived through our own strength, through our own means, through our own gumption. We, we, you know, Americans, we have that problem. We just try to, you know, just suck it up. Try harder. Christian life, it's not about trying harder. It's about the Spirit of God in you, working through you. It says right there, according to the power that works in you. And you have to ask yourself, if you're trying to live the Christian life in your own power, or if it's the power of God in you. The power of God in you. That's when Jesus told the disciples to tarry in Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high. Then they would be his witnesses. Then they would be his witnesses.